You're listening to a sermon podcast for a time like this from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, Jamie noted that over the summer, the lectionary has us reading a number of stories from Genesis and that it is his intention to focus on those stories when he preaches. And while I reserve the right to change my mind, that's my plan too. He also called today's reading from Genesis a doozy, which it is, and that might just be why I love it so much. Now, we can't cover all the stories found in Genesis over the next couple months, so I would encourage you to take some time to fill in the blanks by reading through the book on your own. Even with just one character like Hagar, there is so much more to explore than what I'm going to have time to say today. But let's start by highlighting a few things from earlier chapters of Genesis that I think provide some important context, starting at the very beginning in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. Now, I don't think it's important to get bogged down in the hows of creation, but I do think it's important to regularly remind ourselves that this world and everything in it, including each of us, was created by a good and loving God. That basic understanding should be the foundation of all of our beliefs and actions. We are not cosmic accidents. We are God's creation. And so is everyone else. It's important and healthy to realize that you are unique and special in God's eyes. It is dangerous and unhealthy to think other people need to be considered less special as a result. God's economy doesn't work that way. God's economy is so much bigger than that. And we see that reflected in today's story. Whenever I hear people say that they would want a traditional biblical marriage, I think of marriages like Abraham's and Sarah's, and I think, really? Because that is not a relationship I would want to emulate. Let's talk about Sarah for a few minutes. In that time and place, Sarah would have found her sense of self and identity in relationship to other people, and in particular, in relationship to her husband and her children. Her relationship with her husband is complicated. Throughout their marriage, Sarah comes to learn that she's expendable, and so she can't just relax and trust that her position is stable. She can't trust that she is safe. Abraham has this bad habit of throwing Sarah under the nearest bus or under the nearest pharaoh. On several occasions, Abraham senses danger, and his solution is to treat Sarah like a commodity. She's more of a chess piece than a life partner. She's expendable. Abraham's treatment of Sarah is traumatic, and we see some of the manifestations of that trauma in her treatment of Hagar. In that time, in that culture, you ideally wanted to have a large number of children. Children were a part of your workforce and helped ensure economic stability. If you didn't have a large number of kids, you at least needed one son to be your heir. Like, that was the bare minimum. And for most of her life, Sarah has failed to provide that heir. She's a failure. Well, 
She's not actually a failure. And if you don't have children, you are not a failure either. Society will constantly make you feel like a failure, even to this day, but you are not a failure. For most of Sarah's life, she does not have children, and so for most of Sarah's life, she will be viewed by everyone around her as a failure. They will stare, gossip, and offer pitying looks. They'll say ignorant and hurtful things. And Sarah will know. She will know that they think she's a failure. She might even, having been formed by that society's norms and expectations, agree with them. So towards the end of her life, Sarah makes a plan. A plan that may seem odd to us, but a plan that was perfectly acceptable in her time. She finds an enslaved woman named Hagar, forces her to have a child with Abraham, a child Sarah can claim as her own. It was a common practice. The biological child of an enslaved person was also the property of the slave owner, so Hagar's child could actually become Abraham and Sarah's child. Hagar is not meant to be this child's mother. She's meant to be the container used to achieve Sarah's dream. And if you've read the book or watched the HBO series, this is the root of the story of The Handmaid's Tale. Women and children tend to be treated like commodities in Genesis. It's one of the most problematic aspects of the book. It doesn't actually end with Genesis. Think of the book of Job. In that story, all of Job's children are killed towards the beginning of the story, and by the end, he's given a bunch of new kids, as if kids are simply interchangeable or replaceable. Now, everything goes according to Sarah's plan, at least at the beginning. Hagar has a son, so now Abraham has a male heir. And then the impossible happens. Sarah gives birth to a son, and Sarah no longer views Hagar's son as her own. Rather, she begins to see Hagar and her son as a threat. Abraham decides to hold a feast to celebrate Isaac, and Sarah's insecurities begin to surface. She goes to Abraham and says, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. Abraham is distressed, but God tells him to do what Sarah wants, and God promises Abraham that although his lineage will be traced through Isaac, Ishmael will also be blessed as the founder of a great nation. So Abraham sends Hagar and their son Ishmael away into the desert. Hagar carries Ishmael on her back, which calls to mind modern-day images of refugees fleeing persecution and they travel until they run out of water. Then Hagar stops, and assuming they're both going to die, she puts Ishmael under some bushes and goes about the distance of a bowshot, which is a beautiful image. She goes about the distance of a bowshot away from him so that she won't have to watch him die. Then she lifts up her voice and weeps. And while she is weeping, she hears a voice saying, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God was with the boy. God does not abandon Hagar or her son. He remains with them. 
Now here is one more story about Hagar from earlier in Genesis. Names are important. They shape how we see ourselves and each other. Abraham and Sarah both received new names at one point in their lives, shifting from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. People continue to change their names to this day for a variety of reasons, and the church has acknowledged this reality by creating a liturgy to bless a new name. So if that's something you want to explore, please do talk to me sometime. Hagar in our story isn't just Hagar. She is alternately Hagar the Egyptian or the slave woman. These names mark Hagar as both a foreigner and as property. And so perhaps Hagar, more than any person in this story, understands the power of a name. She knows how being marked by her ethnicity and status in Abraham's household have hurt both her and her child. She knows the dignity of the right name and the damage of the wrong one. Hagar and Sarah had a contentious relationship long before the events in today's reading. Things became so bad when Hagar was pregnant that she ran away. And while she was alone in the wilderness, Hagar had a life-changing encounter with a supernatural being. Dr. Wilda Gaffney explains that this messenger of God is a supernatural being, but there's more to this messenger. In chapter 16, verse 7, the messenger functions as God in disguise, or perhaps God in human drag, God dressed as a person. The holy messenger uses the first person in 1610 speaking as God. And in 1613, Hagar realizes that she has seen God. During this encounter, God promises Hagar that she will be the mother of a great nation and tells her to return to the home of Abraham and Sarah. And after this encounter, Hagar gives God a name, the God who sees And in doing so, she becomes the only person in the Bible to give God a name. People in the Bible name other people and places and things, but only Hagar gives God a name. Only Hagar. What does it mean to be seen by God? What does it mean to be chosen by God? Well, first of all, here is what it does not mean. It does not mean that because we are special, other groups of people are less special. It does not give us the right to expect to be treated well at the expense of others. It does not mean that we don't need to listen to other people or consider their needs and their perspectives when making decisions. And it's pretty easy to find stories of people who proclaim that they are special and that their specialness implies that other groups of people are, well, not special. It's probably pretty easy for all of us to remember a time we've done that. But we can also find examples of stories this week of some Manitoba churches who want to be exempt from current public health guidelines, and stories of an American president who also wants to be exempt, who holds rallies. You can also see this in some of the unhealthier views of Middle Eastern politics. The God who sees, sees things very differently than we do. The God who sees is a God of abundance. The God who sees is a God who can declare a covenant with one group of people, calling them special and chosen, and simultaneously declare that others are special as well. In God's economy, 
both Sarah and Hagar can become matriarchs of great nations. And because the God who sees is God, the math all adds up. It doesn't have to make sense to us. It just has to make sense to God. Hagar's story serves as a reminder to us to resist the false narrative that we are special and others are not. Hagar's story is a reminder, it's a warning, it's a corrective. Now, this story should have been considered an embarrassing, but ultimately unimportant one, and it probably should have been edited out. But the God who sees, sees Hagar, sees Ishmael, sees all the people who most of us refuse to see, refuse to listen to. The God who sees, sees Hagar, and declares that her story matters. The story of an enslaved woman from Egypt matters. It will not be forgotten. Now, the Bible will continue to trace the story of a particular people who were chosen by God, the Israelite people. But that does not mean that those people, who we as Christians tend to think of as our people, have an exclusive claim on God's love. It doesn't mean that we can claim that God cares more for us or loves us more than God loves anyone else. God's love is not limited doesn't run out. God makes the same promise to Ishmael and to Isaac, and God keeps both promises. Both men become great nations. Both men experience God's presence and blessing. Towards the end of today's reading, it says, God was with the boy. God was with Ishmael. God's care and provision did not end with Hagar and Ishmael when they were cast out of Abraham's family. Catherine M. Schifferdecker encourages us to pause and consider what Ishmael's story tells us about God's care and providence, noting that there is this beautiful old hymn that reminds us of this truth. There is a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. We cannot limit God's mercy, she says. God hears the cry of the abandoned. God hears the cry of the outcast. And God saves. May we learn to see as the God who sees, sees. May we try in all that we do to live into God's wide, wide mercy. And may it shape both our thoughts and our actions. In the name of our loving God, who sees and who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church, including further resources during these days of the COVID-19 global pandemic, or to provide support for our online work, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.